0: My name is Jorge Andrés Jiménez, and today we will be speaking with Tomás Newfing, who currently holds the position of Chief of the Center for Learning and Multilingualism at the United Nations Office in Geneva. He's currently based as well in Geneva, Switzerland, but he also has been worked in New York, in Turin, in Brussels. Thank you, Tomás, for taking the time for to speak with us. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, I'd like to start by asking you what made you devote a career to the UN and how did you make it happen?
1: Okay, first of all, thank you, Jorge, for the invitation and to um, be able to you know, share my experiences uh, with you and, and your audience. Um, I don't want to take too long, because, but it, it is a bit of a uh, longer story why I actually ended up uh, at the UN, but I tried to uh, keep it very short. Uh, I'm German, and I studied in uh, Germany and Tübingen and in Lisbon and Portugal political science and uh, German literature. And I was about to get closer to my final exam, which was a master's degree, which would then actually lead to a further pedagogical study to become a high school teacher. So I was actually on the track to become a high school teacher. And just before my uh, final exams in political science, I wrote a paper on uh, United Nations peacekeeping. Uh, And it was a fascinating topic. And uh, I studied also, I focused on international relations, Uh, And my professor then said, and this is the pre-digital era uh, that we're talking about in the early 1990s. um, He said that there was a possibility to do an internship in New York at headquarters, which I was not really aware of. And also I didn't know how to apply, but he gave me some tips. So I applied and actually I was uh, later accepted and served an internship it was in 1993 and my boss was a so-called Kofi anna uh, who was not the secretary general at the time but he was just named uh, under secretary general for peacekeeping so i uh, was uh, fortunate enough to to work with him and in, in his department and it was of course also new york it was the security council that i could also visit uh, with my badge Uh, it's no longer possible today but in those days it was it was the bosnia war that was raging so i could actually witness history in the making and also how uh, member states tried to deal with uh, with that uh, uh, crisis so of course i was um, um, so overwhelmed with that experience that I did change my mind and I thought I would not uh, embark on a uh, high school teaching career uh, in the southwestern province in Germany, but uh, to, to actually go international. So that was actually almost a last minute um, change in plan. And uh, when I came back from New York, I was supposed to start already teaching and I had a salary and a job waiting for me, but uh, I did not start it uh, and uh, decided to uh, actually give it a try with the UN. and. Uh, Fortunately, it
0: worked out. I see. I see. It's, it's uh, very interesting to, I mean, th- th- thank you for sharing your expectations also because uh, you mentioned about the peacekeeping and then going to, to the UN agencies in, 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 the, in the headquarters and that we get a lot from, from our listeners. You have been working in different agencies throughout your career in the UN. Could you tell us what are the main competencies that helped you succeed? Well, I think there
1: are three maybe key uh, characteristics or or three qualifications in a sense, maybe more three uh, key characteristics that I think you would need if you want to have a longer career, a successful entry, but also in the long haul, a successful career in, 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 in the international organizations and mainly, of course, in the UN, which, you know, one is passion, Uh, the second one competence and the third resilience and uh, I think you know when you start without the passion it's not even worth trying and uh, I think also it's important to find your way first uh, that you're really passionate about that type of work because it also uh, brings about sacrifices and uh, especially at the beginning of my career I i had to be extremely flexible and of course you know you could not demand uh, many things so you had to grab opportunities that that uh, offered themselves uh, and uh, i think that flexibility but also the mobility was actually key at the beginning Uh, But I think also um, after the entry, which of course is always difficult and uh, many, I think of your listeners also, some of them will actually uh, try to land a job in the UN, uh, it is not easy, uh, it is actually very difficult, very, very competitive. However, if you have that passion and also the resilience not to give up after the first, second or third application that is uh, not returned uh, or you may have an interview but you're not selected... Uh, in hindsight, all the people I know that really wanted to work for the UN actually ended up at the UN. Uh, So I think, um, but of course, you have to work on your competence. You need to have also a skill profile that is needed and you have to uh, keep honing it. Um, But I think, you know, those three uh, key characteristics uh, would be important. And I think, of course, if you move between the field, headquarters, Uh, between UN agencies. I had also a stay with a regional organization, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. Um, I think that is really um, um, what I would recommend um, because you gain a lot of diverse experience but also you you discover the beauty of that international system but also you 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 get to get real insights into very interesting work at headquarters uh, which is also interesting but i think in the field in particular because that's where you really see where your contribution ex- actually really really matters
0: thank you for sharing your experiences they are really for the people that want to work in the un now I would like to talk about your current position and the latest experiences in the sector. What are the main goals of the Center of Learning and Multilingualism? And what are your responsibilities as a chief of UNOG?
1: I think uh, you know there, there are two elements to that job. One, you're the chief learning officer. So you, your job is to um, uh, create and provide learning programs uh, for the staff that you're responsible for, your clients, uh, to stay on top of the game, you know, to also be technically savvy and uh, uh, also on top of uh, latest developments and adult learning, Um, but essentially, you know, to to also be responsible for creating a learning menu that uh, also helps your organization and and its staff to to perform well. Uh, And, of course, the other component, because I have about 40 staff Member team uh, is of course the, the managerial role that you play. You know, it's uh, uh, managing a large team from performance management to uh, managing budgets. Uh, but also, you know, we have about um, 700 activities reaching out to almost 10,000 clients a year. Uh, a large component is our language training program, which uh, you know the member states feel very strongly about. That's why the word multilingualism is also in in, in our name. Uh, we offer um, language training programs in the six official UN languages um, at uh, different levels up to proficiency level in all of six of them. And it's free of charge for UN staff, um, but also it's um, um, delegates, um, diplomats are eligible, UN uh, staff spouses as well, consultants as well. So that's a big operation. But then uh, besides, we also offer a lot of uh, um, Management and leadership development, you know, for our middle management and and, and leaders, um, but also a lot of technical training for the different uh, professions that we have. So it's actually a very varied field, and uh, again, it's it's a quite a large operation. And of course, our job is to, with shrinking resources, to um, uh, create a, a menu for our staff. You know that 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 always keeps itself updated and uh, also new skills that are needed for staff when they're recruited. Let's say ten, fifteen years ago, they did not necessarily bring them, but now, in their actually in their job, they would need them. So we need to provide solutions for that as well. So that's a bit, in a nutshell, what the job here is about. We also we don't only look. After our UNOG UN office at Geneva colleagues, but also the wider UN presence here in Geneva and we have about 9,000 UN staff here all together. We're not the only learning center, I must say, so ILO, WHO, they have also their own learning outfits, but we're also a bit of a, a, a central uh, learning provider which uh, has programs open to all UN staff here as well. So we try to also cover our own direct clientele, so to speak, but also the wider UN community here in Geneva.
0: Could you tell me more about the management and communication training departments for the UN staff?
1: Yes, I think this is a, um, we call it management communication, it, it, but it actually covers all the training that we provide outside of the language uh, uh, area, um, and it's, it's very diverse. We have one large block which is uh, team interventions and team building, um, because the you may also appreciate you have a a, a number of teams here that uh, uh, there's a new leadership maybe a new technology is introduced maybe some have some issues about internal communication so that is quite a a very uh, important uh, um, portfolio that we also run to help our teams here to become uh, even more performant uh, and uh, we also offer management development programs ranging from first-time supervisors but up to uh, director level um, appropriate uh, uh, training opportunities to, to in terms of management development but also leadership development we have a number of uh, technical trainings that uh, some of our staff need to undertake for example in the field of accounting or uh, some human resources some need to to uh, renew their certifications uh, in their professional area so it actually management communication does not only entail management communication it actually covers all the the possible uh, learning and training needs that the organization may have. And we we try to do justice in
0: in, in that uh, portfolio. What are the advantages offered by the UN recruitment system to the UN staff?
1: Well, you know, for we still have a, um, very often looking at a classical case of a staff that uh, comes at a fairly young age and then stays with us until retirement, which of course is uh, less and less the case, but we still have quite a few that are with us for a long period and actually a long career. Uh, that is changing. We may uh, want to talk about that later as well, uh, but it's still a, a large number of, of staff, and of course when they came in, they had a certain level of education, a certain level of of uh, 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 a certain profile of skills that of course needs to be updated over time and need to be complemented with with new skills so we try to also help them to really stay performant uh, and of course many of those or all those courses are, are ending with a certificate which of course when you uh, in terms of uh, mobility you want to move to another employer another un agency uh, uh, bodes well and it it, it helps you to uh, also uh, maybe land a new job with another agency because uh, you also demonstrated that you 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 further fine-tuned your your, your profile so your employability actually increases um, but I think first and foremost, we do it, obviously, to, to uh, um, enable our staff to be as performant as they can possibly
0: be. You got a job now? Then the fellowship is the way to keep your career progressing and your profile employable throughout your life. What are you waiting for? Thank you. Talking about this, I would like to know what is your advice once they go through this program? And any other program in general, what's your best advice to show the recruiter your mastery of a certain competency?
1: Well, this is usually um, tested through the so called competency based interview that we in the entire UN system practice. Uh, And I think this is something for maybe your listeners who have never applied for the UN, um, something to maybe. Uh, inform themselves before um, they're invited for an interview. Uh, there, there are many resources available and also in many countries there are also outfits that, that help you to prepare but I think also the UN um, human resources departments of the different organisations are always willing and very happy to provide uh, additional information on, on that particular uh, approach and I think it's, it's um, you have a, a job opening vacancy announcement, whatever you call it, usually you have certain companies listed in that particular uh, job uh, opening that is extremely relevant for that particular job. Um, And then you can already prepare yourself because those competencies will actually be tested in the interview. There may be a technical test in parallel to that, uh, but I think the competencies will be um, uh, covered through through an interview. Um, And I think the the idea is then to ask the the applicant for past examples um, where he or she could demonstrate uh, um, that the competency that is in question is actually um, um, covered by by the applicant. And I think that uh, is is a bit different to some other interviews in maybe in the private sector or in other contexts um, where there are sometimes hypothetical questions uh, being asked Uh, We do very little psychometric testing, but I think, you know, we focus a lot on these competency-based interviews and uh, hoping that by seeing how the applicant behaved in the past in in certain contexts that uh, this applicant once recruited would also... Uh, behave and apply the expertise um, um, uh, effectively in the job um, that that we have to offer um, and uh, it's a bit of a retroactive look it's a bit it's not uh, you know you know it from investment um, where they also apply a similar approach that you know the, you always see the charts, how um, a share has uh, fared in the last 10 years and if it has gone up all the time, it's some sort of a predictor for the future that uh, this could uh, go the same way, which is not, not entirely true, but it gives some sort of an indication. So the same principle we, we apply for, for our uh, interviews. Uh, so you need to demonstrate or you need to give examples that are also compelling enough Uh, to convince the selection panel, you know, that those competencies uh, that you're actually mastering them by giving examples of how you demonstrated that in the past.
0: And what are the new skills and competencies that you foresee that the UN staff will require in the future?
1: Well, there are quite a few that we have identified, um, but I think if I could single out one that is probably the most important. Uh, is linked to the sustainable development goals you know the SDGs Uh, it's our agenda 2030 which and you may recall the MDGs the Millennium Development Goals and what is the big difference between the MDGs and the SDGs the biggest difference is that now with the SDGs it's not the UN assuming that we could solve these problems on our own. Um, So now it is a much more of a multi-stakeholder approach and it's a lot more about uh, partnerships with academia, with private sector, uh, with philanthropy, etc. So also the UN staff now is encouraged, everybody is encouraged to go above and out of the silos and and, to create new partnerships which is new to many because that was not uh, the part of the game in the past. Uh, Actually, even within the UN system, we did not like to... Collaborate uh, uh, too eagerly with each other, uh, but I think now this this is really uh, called upon. Everybody is called upon to to engage in these new partnerships. So, partnering skills and how to go about it. How do you, as a as a bureaucracy, as a as an international um, not-for-profit institution, how do you go about engaging with the private sector uh, with a view to these uh, sustainable development goals? I think it's almost the, the most important new skill that UN staff would need to learn which is also a good opportunity for newcomers, you know, that come have also experience, you know, in these different uh, uh, contexts. Uh, I think that will be uh, especially for for the management and leadership cadre of the organization in the future be extremely relevant and uh, and more and more important. So that's one. The second one, of course, we we have the fourth industrial revolution, as we call it. We have artificial intelligence. We also we call it the digital literacy as well. That um, is something that. Uh, Uh, the entire workforce needs to get better. Of course, again, the young generation that comes in has a real competitive advantage and already has been exposed to uh, technology in a completely different way than people of my generation, for example. Um, But I think that is also a a big construction site that we have identified to uh, bring our existing staff into that uh, uh, new era.
0: And on the other hand, what are the competencies and regular trainships for senior executive levers? Where are the seniors missing usually? What do they need to improve?
1: Well, I think we, we all need to constantly improve and we need to constantly learn. Of course we also have this concept of lifelong learning, which Will become even more important because also we recently had a meeting when we discussed also the which is a very positive thing that life expectancy uh, is going going up so much that I think the today the children that are younger than ten years forty uh, percent of them in terms of average and uh, prediction will turn one hundred um, so I think this also completely changes. Um, a career uh, regardless of the un or or other sectors so when we always looked at the 25 30 maximum 35 years of a career that soon will actually spread over half a decade so people will work 50 years and more so you will not be able anymore to acquire all your knowledge all that you need to know that almost keeps you through a career like in the past actually it will be only the beginning. So the 50 years will actually mean constant learning and constant improvement. So in terms of leadership, uh, this also has uh, implications. And uh, also I personally uh, have co-facilitated numerous leadership development programs in the last 20 years. Um, And of course, our leaders um, uh, are very competent However, it becomes more and more of a challenge to to, to lead in in this context. Um, I think the staff is uh, ever more demanding also of good, sound, ethical leadership. Um, And uh, I think the the, the changes, uh, which is now constant, and also the radical changes and the pace of change is also increasing, um, which... Makes leading in the UN and in the international organizations uh, ever more complicated and challenging, but also exciting because it's it's but it changes a bit the role of the leader. It's not the command and control of the past. Um, it's uh, it's a, a facilitator, a convener, a coach, a mentor role that needs to be adopted a lot more. So I think we we have programs that help our current leaders to hopefully get even more effective in in these areas but i think also in terms of leadership types and characteristics uh, i think uh, we will probably need to also recruit for for different leaders in the future as well
0: and what is your best advice for those working in the impact sector at a national level who dream of having a career in the international context
1: i think the one piece of advice would be and i have numerous examples and i know so many fantastic colleagues that actually started off office, as national officers uh, or national un volunteers um, national staff in 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 undp programs you name it um, who who actually um, had the courage, but also the determination to to go big and to also um, um, apply what they have learned and what they know uh, not only in their home country but also elsewhere. Uh, so I, I would one tip would just be you know this is and I I I can guarantee that this is an open system. It's not easy. It's, of course, it's extremely competitive. But uh, I've seen in the last twenty five years so many of my colleagues also that I worked uh, alongside in in program countries uh, that are now international staff. so I think it is possible um, and I think even many of those have an advantage because they they know they talk they experience realities. Uh, that that others uh, only have to get exposed to and learn how to deal with those challenges, but they actually grew up in such an environment. Uh, so it's it's of course it makes total sense to also apply that experience and bring it to bear uh, in other countries and uh, and to also join the so-called international workforce that we have. So I would I would just be um, um, not arrogant and also not uh, uh, again. Um, asking for a quick win, uh, but also to be persistent and resilient and and to keep trying and and towards to contribute uh, uh, in other countries. And I think that uh, uh, is a great thing.
0: And for those who are pursuing a UN career but haven't transitioned yet from the private sector, what are the competencies that you see that people from the private sector are bringing to the UN and the UN is, of course, benefiting a lot from?
1: I think in in general it's 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 only helps and it only makes you a more rounded professional the more experience you have and of course not everybody can has can have the same amount of of uh, the right different experiences but I think also myself but not only myself but I think you know if you the more you move around and also between those sectors and I think even more so in the future, uh, I think our um, staff, especially our leaders, need to be well versed in, in those different contexts, need to be able to communicate uh, with actors from these different uh, sectors. Uh, but I think also to, to benefit from, from that rich experience that they have uh, gained over time. Um, but I think even if you have not had extreme opportunities of that kind, you can also um, um acquire them over time as well. But of course, nothing beats the real experience. Um, I think sometimes these different worlds have clashed and uh, it was not always a positive experience. To be honest with you, I know a number of excellent professional colleagues from the private sector that tried to join the UN in different parts. And it did not always work out, not only because of the organization not being able to uh, integrate uh, this maybe new way of looking at things. Uh, but sometimes it was also the colleagues from the private sector that underestimated that you actually join a public institution where it is much more difficult to, to implement changes or to achieve things uh, as quickly as they could in the private sector. So I think both sides need also to be fully aware of uh, um, the, 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 the risks but also the opportunities. Um, but I think, as I said before, now with the SDGs and the SDG 17, the partnerships, we we see quite an increase also in in. Um, new leaders that come also with different experiences uh, also in the UN system. Um, I don't see it really the other way around, which is a a pity. Um, But uh, I think, you know, if both sides are um, aware of the possible risks uh, that exist, you know, when working together, um, uh, I think uh, usually it is already eliminated and I think the, the cooperation or the integration can be positive. But I think it's important to be aware of it Uh, And I think, you know, the UN will never be a startup company you know where you know super flat hierarchies uh project-based work although we go in that direction but i think we will never be uh like uh, you know a small startup you know in berlin or in, in, in on the west coast you know that is very agile and dynamic and ready to move any day um, but at the same time we desperately need also that dynamism that agility as well um, but i think once people then come to us you know they also need to Um, um, maybe be a bit more patient, uh, but also the organization needs to also welcome and integrate them, that they can also bring this uh, fresh air into the organization.
0: Learn the secrets behind the impact organization's recruitment policies, how they change year by year, and use that knowledge to land your dream job. Become a fellow. From your experience, what types of profiles or attitudes make a professional stand out in the UN system once he or she has been hired?
1: Well, this is, it's also, of course, a, a bit of a subjective personal, uh, view, um, also based on, on my experience over the last 25 years and maybe others had different experiences, but I would, I think the most important ingredient really is uh, the the total alignment with the, the the mandate of this organization if you don't have that you know if it doesn't excite you if it doesn't uh, inspire you if you if it doesn't create that passion uh, for you to get up in the morning but also not to only do it the first one or two years you know but to really do that over maybe a career of 20 30 years um, it will not work out uh, you may keep your job you may even do a decent job but it will never be a fulfillment for you, nor will you be really successful in your job. Uh, so I think that is a key ingredient, and I think we, we call it also service. You know, it's not a job. You know, we we very often um, say that he or she has served for 20, 25 years, and I think it's really that notion of a service uh, which which is very important, and I think it's... Uh, um, if you don't feel that, if you don't have that inside it 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 may be difficult for you to a to stand out you know and also to 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 survive in the long run um, but at the same time, you need to have a certain resilience to systemic issues and also to frustrations that it is still a political organization where the uh, 193 member states need to come to an agreement. Uh, and, of course, working for the organization, seeing that in so many occasions the member states do not agree on action where it actually desperately needs to be taken is also something that you need to be able to tolerate and not to get uh, uh, disencouraged by, uh, which is difficult. And I think, you know, we all and again we have that passion but if we see that the performance of the organization in general is not good enough uh, it it can also be difficult uh, as a staff member in the organization so you need to also be able to tolerate that and not to give up and to be realistic enough that uh, the organization may not create the peace and provide the stability and the development um, uh, over the world the way it should be but that we are all collectively trying um, and i think that is a, a very important ingredient and at the same time to find the expertise that you have where you can contribute the most as an individual uh, and to always remember that what you can do in your direct environment is is worth the while because you know we have uh, and we see that in our leadership programs where very often the first day is just venting and people are frustrated and uh, see the systemic issues, the, the bureaucracy that, of course, we don't like ourselves. You know, that's not uh, that we love to be bureaucrats, but it's, it's inherent in the system. It's also an expression of a certain mistrust of the member states towards the organization. Uh, and also it's, it's supposed to eliminate uh, fraud and, and uh, uh, abuse and misuse of, of funds and uh, uh, you name it. But I think it is a context which is challenging, but despite the systemic issues that you keep going uh, and that you keep making a difference, uh, and and even if it's a small difference, uh, but uh, that you you try to do this every day. And I think if you embody that, um, you, you will actually stand out. And I think that's actually the type of people we need. We have a lot of... Absolutely fantastic experts, and uh, um, that, but may miss the passion, and some others may be a bit weak on the the, the resilience and uh, the um, being patient. Um, so, but I think if you can balance these three, um, you would be uh, almost the ideal uh, UN worker that we all want to have.
0: Thank you for your answer. And following on this, looking back at your career, what do you think? Could have accelerated the process to get to get you into your current seniority level
1: I was a p five and I was thirty nine which is a very young age it's not not uh, the the average age of of uh, people becoming a p five but it was uh, simply because of the reason that i i I moved around quite a bit and again I had the experience at headquarters in the field peacekeeping humanitarian development work um different organizations so i think if you if you do that i think it's almost a a a career booster in a way so that i think then not always but in general it does i think the mobility um, does uh, create a much more favorable career development in the UN um, than not being mobile. And I think the times that uh, somebody started here in Geneva, where I am, and retired here, there are still some, you know, that are now retiring, but I think that is is, is, is out. It's not the future, it's not the present, and it definitely will not be the future. So in, in my career, I think these early... Um, different assignments and also sometimes I was just given opportunities and I was extremely grateful for it. Sometimes I wondered why I got this opportunity but I was, uh, we also call it sometimes the the star constellation was perfect in in so many moments. But then of course there were uh, periods when you apply and you you, are sure you're the best candidate and and you don't make it and, uh, and that I think is also something that Maybe also your listeners that are maybe a bit younger, or even the mid-career uh, people, it, it's also very important to um, to bounce back from these disappointments in in recruitment, uh, because I think you will. Everybody I know has failed so much more often than succeeded, uh, but it's also I think the, that you don't take too much time in. In, uh, in sulking and in um, uh, intoxicating your environment for too long and uh, I should have gotten this job, I was the best and why did he get it or she uh, of course to have a moment of, of disappointment and then, and then just to move on because at the end of the day it is the competition and also for us every single post is internationally advertised so even as an internal candidate i have no preference over an external candidate it's really it's a level playing field and i have to compete and of course it's it's not always possible that that you win so you need to also be able to uh, um, not always the way up is the only way sometimes it's also lateral moves but i think it's also the overall job satisfaction that you uh, need to to monitor you know that also where you are best at sometimes you know a promotion gives you a bit more uh, satisfaction for your ego, maybe a bit of uh, an extra dollar, but maybe that job is actually not the job that you would like to do on a daily basis. And maybe you're not at your best in that job either. So sometimes humility is also good. So I'm personally very happy with my career so far. I've been in eight or nine duty stations. I've been to so many interesting places, very difficult places as well. Uh, but also those experiences were invaluable. So I'm—I have no complaints.
0: Could you tell me what were the biggest challenges when you were at that point in your career, in these duty stations?
1: Well, I'm—you know—I was in Haiti, I was in, in in Bosnia after the war, and in Kosovo ex- immediately almost after the the NATO airstrikes ended. Uh, those were very difficult and challenging uh, assignments. Also, um, um, you know, receiving death threats and uh, um, security uh, incidents. Also, losing a number of friends. I, I lost three very close friends and colleagues in the Baghdad bombing in 2003. Uh, because that community is not so large and uh, um, so we all we all knew some people that that were among those victims so it was dangerous but also uh, extremely um, uh, satisfying it sounds a bit strange but uh, um, the challenge was always to to in those volatile and dangerous environments to to also Bring about a contribution that actually uh, uh, brings about a betterment to the situation, and sometimes that 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 works, that you can save lives. But sometimes you 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 almost idle and uh, and uh, you cannot really uh, do what you what you want to do because of many auto security uh, related uh, impediments that are there. I just give you one example in in Bosnia where I worked we I was the deputy director of a countrywide uh, um, rehabilitation um, um, program, and uh, I think one of the two hundred thirty five projects that we actually implemented in all the municipalities uh, one was to plant five hundred thousand seedlings, small trees around the hills of Sarajevo. You may recall. That the city was sieged for a long time uh, but also people cut all the trees to, to, to heat uh, their houses during the war um, but when the war was over the almost the entire all the hills around the city were, were bare there was not uh, there were only a few trees left and it uh, would lead to landslides after rainfall Um, And one project we had there was to plant 500,000 trees, and it was very dangerous because most of these areas were also mined, so they had to be demined. Uh, So every night I would uh, not get to sleep because uh, all these people that worked on on the hills to plant the seedlings, uh, um, luckily they were all safe and sane and we had no, no incident there. But then 10 years later, I went again to Sarayu and, uh, and woke up in a hotel in the morning and looked out of the window and then I saw these half a million trees and that now the, the hills look, look, uh, there's vegetation again. And I think it's that type of, um, not legacy that you leave, but you, you did something so concrete that uh, um, um, is still around today. Uh, and of course, it was not your money; it was a budget that was given to you to to um, uh, to steward and to to implement in the best possible way. But it's it's those um, experiences that that um, create that very particular job satisfaction that you, that you only get in the field. Not that the work here in Geneva or New York, where I was was not important, but um, I think you're much more removed. You're also part of that big machinery that, in the end, leads to these concrete actions. But if you experience them yourselves by your own doing, I think that is uh, what is so fascinating about it. Uh, and of course, this is always coupled with great challenges and difficulties. These assignments have always been complicated and difficult, um, and uh, one should not be naive about it. But I think that's when when you actually grow with these challenges.
0: And now, after all these years of achievements, I'm curious to know, do you find yourself in a better place doing The things that you thought when you started to make a career making an impact and improving the world?
1: That's a very good question Jorge. Um, I told you at the very beginning that I was supposed to become a high school teacher so I was really passionate about teachings and i liked it i had very good teachers not all of them but i had some exceptional teachers that became such uh, inspiring people to me so i i also wanted to do the same to 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 uh, to teach and there was this career change but then after a while uh, of moving around and moving about I actually ended up in 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 my field, which is maybe not uh, a high school, but it's it's adult learning, you know. It's it's uh, uh, so I'm I feel that I'm I came back to the trade and you know, or maybe also to my really intrinsic um, uh, motivation and passion that that I had inside me for uh, for what I wanted to do. Uh, so I don't feel now that I'm too remote, but it's different, you know. It's not this uh, direct. Uh, impact of of an action and that saves a life or, or uh, leaves some development that is concrete behind you but uh, but I, I really love working with the people here and and uh, um, of course, I spend a lot of time with with our senior leaders up to the USg level um, who who are also humans and uh, and I think working with them, uh, and also, seeing how vulnerable they are uh, and how lonely they are in their role and to to maybe help them uh, also with coaching you know to to um, become also more effective and uh, uh, it also makes me humble of of these people you know and and um, uh, how hard they work you know and how hard they actually try so to see here uh, also over time with you know I mentioned our team buildings team interventions that Uh, a team that uh, maybe five years ago was uh, um, a dysfunctional team where internal communication broke down, there was uh, very little uh, concrete output. And now to see that team having transformed and uh, and now being also happy at work, but also being a performing team, it's those small successes that make me, of course, very, very happy.
0: Thank you. I have only one question. Looking back from where you started your UN journey, is there something that you wish you have known before?
1: It's another good question, Jorge, But I, I never asked myself that question. So I, I, you know, I, as a person, as a personality, I'm. I very often I don't even want to know the future because, uh, you know, if you if you think back at maybe some family reunions or birthdays and um and uh, and then a few years later another round birthday and then you you see who's actually not around anymore uh, who would have wanted to know at the last big gathering who will not be around at, at the coming one so i'm um more you know taking you know the time and the future as it comes um, and I think I had a, a, a very, I think it's, a, it's also um, your personal stand to maybe it's a bit also your philosophy that you have in life. Um, I, uh, I had a fantastic ride so far. I also had really big frustrations, setbacks, etc. Uh, but in, in some, it's been a, an extremely interesting and rewarding career. There were, of course, um, some signals that when I started, we all got, which has proven to be pretty wrong, uh, is that, you know, this international civil service, and maybe that's also something for you listeners, the younger ones, to know, um, you know, the old... We were actually set up as uh, um, um, institutions where the staff are international civil servants, the noble Mayor Principle, you know, that we are paid... Um, uh, according to the highest paying national civil service, so that also the the excellences in the organization, but also the independence, uh, but also the job security is there so that we are also independent and can go about our work uh, as uh, international civil servants. So that loyalty from the organization to to the employee uh, is eroding. Um, There's no question about it, but it's not because the organisations don't want to keep the staff for a long time, but I think it's the budget uh, constraints that have uh, developed over the last decades that force organisations to commit much less and also to much shorter periods into the future. Uh, but it radically changes the the, the role of an employee um, because you, 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 you still sort of this contract, I joined this organization, I will be well fed, okay. well looked after, uh, and in return, I give my loyalty and my independence and uh, I'm not corrupted, etc. cetera. So um, that unfortunately is changing. And I think also for, for the newcomers, uh, Um, They need to realize that, you know, that this is not a a job for life context any longer. Even for me, um, since I moved between organizations only at the young age of 49, I had my first continuing contract before I always had fixed term contracts. Um, but I think even today, the chief of recruitment of UNDP has a one-year contract. So I think it's important to know that this is the reality. So you 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 need to be aware of that. But at the same time, it also gives you great opportunities, uh, and uh, more than ever before, that you can also move in between organizations. We have here, for example, in Geneva, the Global Fund, you know, which is not a UN agency, but it's these new hybrid organizations where some countries get involved. Philanthropy, private sector, and they very specifically tar- target one issue and try to, to uh, tackle it, like uh, uh, AIDS, tuberculosis, uh, and malaria, like in the case of Global Fund. And they just got a pledge of $40 billion for the next couple of years. So also that workforce is quite different. They have uh, um, probably two-thirds of their staff is coming from the private sector and one-third also bureaucrats, (laughs) if I can say it, like me. So that's also quite an exciting um, uh, mix and, of course, uh, a very exciting uh, workplace. So I think for younger people to... Uh, also embrace that, and I think they probably don't even want to stay in one organization for 50 years. You know, they, they probably don't care about that. You know, that there would be uh, boards to to, to help. Uh, but I think uh, there are great opportunities in the future. But I think there will be a lot more flexibility needed. I thought when I started, this would be um, the deal, the contract with uh, you know the UN uh, for. For me, it has now worked out at a very late stage, but I think also uh, for future generations that will be a lot more complicated, but not necessarily a, a, a disadvantage. But I think it's important to be aware of it because then uh, your expectations are, are managed.
0: Wow, it, this sheds a lot of light, especially coming from you. Um, thank you, Thomas. Um, thank you for our listeners. I Thank you for making yourself available. I really enjoyed listening to you. Upgrade to become a fellow to reach your full potential while making impact. And see you next time.